Hello, I'm Lainey Gonzalez, aka The Ecological Badass, and I want to welcome you to my podcast series. Today, I'll be sharing one of my personal tales of adventure. I hope that my story will help you connect to your own internal badass. I'd really love to inspire you to get out into this big, beautiful world and make your own kind of difference. So lace up those hiking boots, grab that day pack, let's get going. The badass is back. And for this journey, we're heading south. We're going to go about as far south as you can go and still be on planet Earth. We're going to Antarctica. Now, this trip is the one that truly earned me my badass credentials. Why? Because Antarctica is the coldest, the windiest, the driest continent on planet Earth. You could kind of think of it as the whitewashed equivalent of the Sahara Desert. No sand, but lots of ice. Ice everywhere. No sweltering warm temperatures, but cold. Oh, so cold. The fact that this Southern California girl who shivers when the temperatures dip below 70 degrees Fahrenheit could survive two months on the ice is remarkable, but survive I did. So grab your blankie, snuggle up, and let's get started. I was in my mid-40s when I decided to go to graduate school and earn my master's in biology. Marine biology had long been a passion of mine, so I found a lab that was focused on an interesting topic, ocean acidification. They were trying to pinpoint the pH at which our acidifying ocean waters would dissolve plankton shells. Now, if that doesn't pique your interest, pause and listen to this. There's two types of plankton on Earth, the plant-like phytoplankton are aptly named the lungs of the Earth because they supply most of our oxygen. Their animal-like counterparts, the zooplankton, have an equally impressive role in that they are at the base of all marine food webs. What does that mean? Well, if you like eating fish or oysters, or lobster, then you should be interested in ocean acidification. As a matter of fact, if you appreciate breathing, you should be interested in ocean acidification. Well, the effects of ocean acidification are greatest at the poles. So we, my graduate advisor, fellow grad students, and assortment of volunteers headed to Antarctica. Did I mention this was a challenging journey? The challenges started before I even left California. 
I had to take medical examinations, the likes of which I had never undergone. I remember my doctor exclaiming, they want me to do what? <gasps> I had to take dental examinations that went well beyond the routine. In fact, I had an entire checklist of items that I had to accomplish before leaving home, and it came in an inch-thick packet, ironically called Antarctica Made Easy. <laughs> Why all of this challenge? Well, the weather in Antarctica is very unpredictable, even during the summertime. Things can change in an instant. And so the people that run the show down there, and at the time it was a company called Raytheon Polar Services, they want to make sure that anybody going down to Antarctica is not going to become a liability. Thus the medical exams and the dental exams and everything else on that crazy checklist. Well, the second challenge, the flights. 13 hours from California to Auckland, New Zealand, followed by a puddle jumper from Auckland to Christ Church. Church excuse me. Thankfully, we had a couple of days in Christ Church before completing our last leg, the five-hour flight that would take us from New Zealand to Antarctica. It was in Christ Church that I was issued my extreme cold weather items. Items that I was allowed to use while in Antarctica, but expected to return when I got back to Christchurch. What were they? Well, I had three pairs of thermal underwear, a hugely thick parka, insulated bib overalls, really thick gloves, and these things called bunny boots. Big, bulbous, insulated footwear with traction on the bottom. You know, I was starting to get the impression that Antarctica's cold was something I had never imagined. Well, that last leg of the journey, that five-hour trip from Christchurch to um Ross Island, Antarctica, is risky business. Remember, the weather is unpredictable and things can change in an instant. So it's possible to get almost to your destination and the weather will sour so badly that you have to turn right around and go back to Christchurch. <laughs> Luckily for us, that didn't happen. Now, that last leg is accomplished in military planes. And if you've never flown in a military plane, that's an experience in and of itself. There are no windows to peek out of. So I spent that five hours killing time, playing solitaire, working crosswords, mostly chatting with the other people on the plane. And who were they? Well, they were other scientists like myself, going to Antarctica do, to do amazing research. Um, but a lot of them 
were a variety of employees hired for the season to run McMurdo Station for the scientists. In fact, a lot of these employees worked at Prairie Lab, a state-of-the-art facility where much of the research in Antarctica takes place. Well, when we touched down on Ross Island, there was no runway, just solid ice. And I stepped from the dimly lit airplane out into this unbelievably bright summer sun of Antarctica. So I immediately reached for my UV protected sunglasses. Now, UV protection is essential in Antarctica because there's a hole in the ozone layer right above the continent. And the ozone layer is that layer of the atmosphere that generally protects us from ultraviolet radiation. Now, true, the size of the hole had diminished somewhat by the time I arrived, but there was still enough DNA damaging UV radiation coming through that I had to make sure I had my sunscreen and my UV protected sunglasses. Yes! So now that my eyes were sheltered, I could take it all in. The thing that dominated the landscape, even though it was off in the distance, was Mount Erebus, the world's southernmost active volcano. It rose like a cathedral from the endless ice, and steam billowed from its crater, acting as a warning. I'm calm now, but I could blow at any moment. I continued to look around and I became aware that the only colors I was seeing were blue, brown, and white. So much white. I didn't realize it at the time, but two months later when I returned to New Zealand, I realized I'd been suffering from sensory deprivation. I missed the color green. Well, the very next day after my arrival, I enrolled in a mandatory course for newcomers. The way it works in Antarctica is researchers are helicoptered out to their field site. And at the end of the field day, the helicopter returns to pick you up and bring you back to McMurdo Station. Remember that unpredictable weather. Well, it's altogether possible that the helicopter will not be able to come back and get you on the same day. So everyone doing research in Antarctica has to be prepared to spend the night on the ice. Thus, snow camp. Now, what did we do in snow camp? We built these things called quinzies, which are similar to igloos. We had to protect ourselves from the vicious wind, so we made a windbreak out of bricks made out of ice, and we had to figure out a way to light a fire out there on the ice to cook our food. Now, despite the insulation provided by the Quincy, I could not keep myself warm all night long. In fact, my feet were freezing despite the fact that I had carefully followed my instructor's 
directions. What did I do? I peed into a bottle. You'll hear more about that later. And I tucked that full bottle at the foot of my sleeping bag. Oh, gross. As gross as that might sound, that's an essential for surviving cold weather places like Antarctica. Anyway, I shivered through the night and I managed to survive snow camp. And believe it or not, snow camp was not the most challenging part of Antarctica. The most challenging part was my job. I had to wade out into the Southern Ocean and collect plankton. In order to do this, I had to wear every article of my extreme cold weather gear and waders. Now, the currents in the Southern Ocean are the strongest of any body of water. And there's big, huge chunks of ice floating everywhere. So those currents in that ice are constantly conspiring to try and tip, tip me over. Uh-oh. If I'd have tipped over, hypothermia would have been a certainty as the temperature of that water hovers right around freezing. Now, at the same time, I had to look for teeny tiny dark colored plankton in really rough dark colored water. If I found some, I had to scoop them up with a beaker that was tied to the end of a mop handle. That was our makeshift plankton collector. Now, once my beaker got full, I had to transfer its contents to a collecting jar. Now, the collecting jar was carefully tucked inside my insulated bib overalls. So I had to tuck the broom handle, mop handle, underneath one armpit and keep it steady so that I didn't spill the contents of the beaker. Meanwhile, reach for the collecting jar with gloved hands, unscrew the lid, transfer the contents, secure the lid. Meanwhile, I had to stay upright while that current was trying desperately to topple me. Never have I experienced a core workout like that. Once my beaker was full, I shuffled back to shore and handed that collecting jar off to somebody on shore and got an empty one and did it all over again. <gasps> Tough job. Luckily, there were some distractions. Once in a while, a deli penguins would pop up out of the water and waddle through our camp, gazing at us as they wandered by. As adults, they have no land predators, so they aren't afraid. On the contrary, they seemed curiously amused by our presence. Now, just over the hill from our work site at Cape Lloyd's was an Adelie penguin rookery. So as we worked, we were constantly entertained by the squawking of the adults and chicks. Not quite as entertaining was the smell of guano that constantly wafted over that hill. Oh, gross. Once and only once did I have to pee while out in the field. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, 
But Antarctica is a nature sanctuary, so you can't just pee on the ice. Uh-oh. You have to pee into a pee bottle. Oh, gross. And then upon returning to McMurdo, flush the contents down the toilet. Now, it's cold in the field, so I was wearing every article of extreme cold weather clothing. It's windy in Antarctica, so I had to find a place to shelter from the wind and from the other researchers. Now, sheltering from the wind, peeling off layer after layer of clothing while you are clumsily trying to balance yourself and take aim and get every drop in that bottle. Then you have to tote it back to McMurdo with you. Well, it was enough of an experience that I learned very quickly to control my fluid intake so I never had to pee in the field again. Once we got back to McMurdo, we took our collected plankton to the Crary Lab and transferred them to Aquaria. And these aquaria contained water at different pH. Remember, we were trying to pinpoint what pH would cause plankton shell dissolution. Well, believe it or not, since my time in Antarctica, researchers have actually found shell or plankton, excuse me, showing signs of shell dissolution not only in the Southern Ocean, but in the waters off of Northern California. Yikes! The last thing we humans should want to see is the food that nourishes our seafood delicacies dissolving before our very eyes. Luckily, there is some good news. Some plankton have been found to regrow their shells. This might be an evolutionary adaptation to their current crisis. Nonetheless, we humans can help these mighty minions by reducing our usage of fossil fuels. It's that same carbon that contributes to climate change that causes ocean acidification. See, how it works is the ocean waters act like a great big sponge absorbing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And this is a great thing because it reduces the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere and offsets the effect of climate change. However, there are consequences for ocean animals. That absorbing of CO2 sets in motion a chemical reaction that not only acidifies the water, but literally pulls the calcium carbonate ions right out of plankton shells. So the next time you're savoring that bite of lobster or swallowing that raw oyster or enjoying that cooked to perfection mahi, please remember the plight of the plankton and reduce your carbon footprint It'll help keep the ice on the continent of Antarctica where it belongs, and it'll help keep shells on plankton where they belong. Thanks for listening. Badass signing off. And I think I'm going to go enjoy 
a cup of hot cocoa. See you next time.